Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. I, uh, I postponed teen church, so I'm bringing teen church to you. <laughs> In the next couple of weeks, we are going to RVR, and I'm super pumped about it, because RVR is like one of the best things we do all year. One, because it's radically fun. They have, they have uh, zip lining, they got uh, archery tag. You ever played archery tag? I mean, it's... What you think it is, you're basically shooting arrows at people, and it sounds dangerous, and it might be, but eh, we got slips for that permission form, so, but um, they, they have paintball and horseback riding. Really, there's something for everybody uh, with RVR, and, uh, but my favorite thing is the zip line, um, and every time I do it, I'm, I'm always concerned, you know, because you... you, you I, I don't, big guys, I don't know if there's a couple other big guys here that are like me, but I'm, I'm always thinking like, did they really consider me when they built this, you know? And, and like roller coasters with that your feet dangle, my, my feet are always back like this. I'm not, because I'm going to be that guy in the news, the one dude that's leg got ripped off from a tree branch because they didn't, they didn't calculate it correctly. And I, I looked it up one time. I'm actually in the, like the 1% of the whole world in height. And I don't know if that's because there's a lot of small guys out there in Portugal. Uh, my wife's from Portugal, so I can pick on the Portuguese. But uh, so, yeah. And, you know, we didn't always go to River Valley Ranch. Um, and I knew it was in my backyard, but um, the, we had... Um, gone on winter retreats uh, in the past, but I had always done them myself. And so I, I believe that winter retreats were great because you're, you're in close quarters with everybody, you're rooming with kids, you're spending a lot of time with kids, you get to have all this fun and everything, and, and it's a real intimate situation where, where people hear the gospel on a different level. And, we, and, and I really believe that it's an important time in our year. In fact, you can be praying about that because there's a couple weeks we're going to be doing it and uh, super pumped about it. But um, I did this all by myself, right? We rent a retreat center out in uh, it was like Mercersburg or something, and we would uh, we I'd plan the food, I'd I'd, I'd plan the, the music, and I would do some of the speaking, and I'd also kind of organize it and get another guy to help me speak, and um, it was just all the events and everything you can imagine. It's just an organizational nightmare, and um, this it, it went well, you know, but and and I I, I did I love doing it. But um, the last year we did it, uh, where we were going to do it, I ended up not doing it. And um, my, uh, some of my planning had fallen through. People had backed out. I didn't have enough help in the kitchen. And my guest speaker wasn't able to make it kind of last minute. And I'm kind of, you know, quickly trying to pull things together. I'm making phone calls and stuff. And, and uh, I, I called one of my youth pastor friends. And I said, can you speak for me? And he couldn't. He couldn't speak, and we ended up getting talking about it, and he's like, you really ought to consider River Valley Ranch. 
I mean, they're really solid. I'm preaching the gospel. There's a ton of things for the kids to do. You really ought to consider River Valley Ranch. I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a risk and everything. And we've been doing this for a while now. And, and, uh, and I, just, I just think that if we put it together, even though it's understaffed and everything, we'll still, it, it won't be the best it could be, but it'll, it'll still be good. And he said to me, kind of calling me out. He's like, I don't know, Josh, I think you need to be more intentional about this. You know, why, why do you do the retreats? And I got in my whole, like, pastor thing, you know. Well, we, we want to we wanna see kids far from God become close to God. We want to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And he said, well, if that's true, then isn't this worth the risk? Yeah, you can do it and you might be able to do it that's good, but you want to do it what's best. This is, this is a highlight of your year. This is like Christmas. And it made me step back and think about it. Why, why would I hang on to the retreat doing it myself and it not be the best it could be? Why, why would I do that? And the only answer I could come up with is, this is what we've always done. I don't know if I want to take the risk. What if it's not as good? And I didn't have control over it. And not only that, I didn't have control over it, but then if it did turn out to be really good at RVR, I didn't get any of the credit. (laughs) And here, all these years, I've poured all this time and energy into my own retreat. But God really spoke to me through my buddy, and I decided I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. And we went. And it was a great experience. It was worth the risk. And what made me do that, and we've gone every year since then, and and kids have made decisions, people have met people and grown closer to people. We've seen kids come that would have never come before from the community because of some of the events that we had. And it was just, it's been a real positive thing. And I would have never done it if I wouldn't have got intentional. If I wouldn't have really circled back and thought about, what am I doing this for? And how can it not just be good, but the best And this is what I want to talk about today. Intentional living. Are we being intentional with our lives, with our careers, with our families, and in our ministries for the name of Jesus Christ? What does God say about this? Why is this important? And of course, the answer is yes. And this year, my wife and I try every year to focus on like a a phrase or a word or a theme for the year to kind of just give us direction for the year and she'll pick something and I'll pick something and and um, sometimes we we stick to it all year sometimes we make changes with it but um, it's really a a neat thing to do to try to focus yourself um, and evaluate what's going on in your world and in your life and 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 in this year um, I, I I'm turning 40 in the next couple years, and we won't talk much about that. And I started thinking about, okay, 
Philadelphia. I get to deal with this early because my, my sister turns 40 before me, and she turned 40 this year, so I just spin on this. But anyway, well, I shouldn't have talked about my sister's age on tape, but she doesn't listen to me anyway. Um, <laughs> but I started thinking about, I mean, what, what am I going to do for the next half of my life? Um, and I, I want to be the best me that I can be. I want to be the best that I can be for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want my life to mean something. I want to be greater than myself. And I have to be intentional about that. In my family, my ministry, in my career, the Bible says to us in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity. And so this year, that's, that's my word, intentional. I want to be intentional. And so I want to I bring you along with me this morning as we look at this idea. It's all over the scriptures. But one of the neatest discussions about this is Jesus is giving a parable of Matthew chapter 25. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. It's on page 800. What's that? You guys are so much faster than me. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's on 830 chairs, pews, whatever. And um, we're going to be reading the parable of the talents, starting at verse 14. And just a little bit of the context here. Um, Jesus is teaching. He's instructing his disciples. He's talking about the reality that he is going to be going away. And there is going to be this time. And I like, it to, I like to call it the time of grace. And, uh, and then there'll be a return. And he, you know, and... and in that moment, in Jesus' return, it's a different, he comes for a different reason. And he wants you to be ready. He wants you to be ready. And that's what, that's what this is about. And so he says in verse 14, he tells this story. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and uh, settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who has received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked, slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give to him who has the ten talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth would you pray with me Father God, this is a powerful, powerful uh, passage here, Lord. And I just, I want to give our time specifically over to you, Lord. And I want to ask, Lord, that you would teach us your ways. Lord God, that you would show us what you're asking each one of us to do, that we may live in your will and in the capacity that you have called us to, to be the men and women that we could be for the name of Jesus, Lord. Teach us through your word today. I realize that I am inadequate. Father, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And there's a lot of things in here. And I want to rip this apart with you because Jesus is saying a lot of things about what it means to be ready for his coming. And, and if you were to maybe narrow it down to one thing, it would be, if you're going to be ready, that means you're going to be serving for him during this time. He wants you to serve. And the fact that he wants you to serve means something very significant about you. It means you are valuable to him. It means he believes in you and thinks that you have something to offer and that he could use you to do great things. If, if not, you know, then he wouldn't have given so much to us. You see, because the master is, is Jesus and the servants is us. And here in this passage, Jesus is saying, look, I've given you these talents. 
And a talent isn't like natural abilities, you know, in the English language we use talent to say like that person's really good at guitar or that person's a great dancer. Or, um, you know, you name it, you fill in the blank. And this isn't what he's talking about at all. This is actually like a unit of measurement for like money. And in this case, it's probably silver, maybe gold. And it's a pretty big amount of money, okay? And I've heard a lot of different, um, you know, calculations of this. We're talking about millions of dollars is being distributed. Probably like for these servants, like 20 or so years worth of their income. And so in, in, in their context, which is important for us to understand, we're talking about amount of money that we would never see, not have. And yet he... The master trusts these people, believes in these people enough to give this to him and to them. Do you see what I'm saying? You are extremely valuable and important to him. And he wants you to take what he's given you and use it. Use it for his kingdom. Think about this for a minute. If God's giving you this much, are you utilizing it? And here's what we're talking about with, with talents. This stuff that he's giving you, I, this is actually your calling, I believe. And what I mean by calling, you probably heard that word a lot. I'm talking about your capacity, your capacity to share the gospel. Your, your capacity, your ability to, to live the gospel. To be the gospel. So this is, this is our talent. This is what God's given us. Our lives, our experiences, our relationships, our resources, our time, our money, our careers, our families, etc., etc., etc. And God wants to use this. This is his plan. In fact, the original plan for humanity was that we would be his image here on this earth. In fact, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you believe that, that the Father is the true creator, that Jesus, God, and, uh, the Father, the, the Holy Spirit, if you believe in Christianity, I don't care. God's created each and every one of us in his image. And our plan and our purpose is to be the mark of God here on this earth. And of course, we, we sin and we fall away from that. But Jesus believes in us so much. He wants us so much. He loves us so much that he would pay any penalty, rip away anything that would keep us from living up to that, and if we put our faith in him, now our purpose and our value comes to life. And he says, I want you to serve me with that, to your ability. And the cool thing about this is that he gives us these resources, he gives us the talent according to our ability, and when we're faithful with it, he gives us more, more responsibility, more of the wealth, more of the talent. This is our purpose. This is our calling. 
So we are extremely valuable to him. Jesus wants us. He wants to use us. And he wants to see results, right? He says to the, the first servant who doubled the money and also to the second service who, servant who doubled the money, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus is concerned about results. He wants to see a profit on what he's given you. He wants you to turn it over and make good with it. This is extremely important. But we can't do that if we're not aware or measuring how we're doing. Think about this for a minute. You've got to be aware, self-aware, because if you want to go from here to here, if you want to see something grow, and, and Jesus is very ex explicit about saying this. He says he had five talents and he had five more. Well done. He had two, he had two more. Well done. We've got to be aware of where we are and where we want to be. We've got to be aware of how to grow this from here to here. And many of us are not. What's most important in your life and with your resources and with your family? And how do you achieve that? Friends, measurement matters. And without measurement, we just waste. We waste time. God wants us to evaluate our lives. It says in, in verse 16 that the, the first guy went right away. He received the five talents and he went at once and traded with it and tried to make good with it and made a plan. Instead of putting it off, I'll get to it later when I have this. I'll get to it later when I've, when I've made more money. He jumps into it right away. And, and, and this is what I was thinking about all week. I, I need to be a master of my calendar. We all need to be a master of our calendar. What we have scheduled and know what we're doing day in and day out and ask ourselves, does it, does it point to what's most important, Right? We would say that what's most important is the greatest commandment, right? What's most important is to love God and love others. What's most important is to be disciple makers. What's most important is the care of our family. What's most important, and we, we say these things over and over again. I think many of us Christians would say that that's what's most important to us. But our schedules are so filled with things that don't actually point to what's most important. And there isn't room to care for the poor. There isn't room to care for the homeless. There isn't room. You fill in the blank. Write Ephesians 5.16 again. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, it says. And if you look closer at that in the original language, in other words, it's like saying, make the, make the most of every opportunity. 
buy back the time. It could actually be translated as redeeming the time, purchasing the time, make the most of every opportunity. Because if you don't, evil will. You see what I'm saying? If you're not intentional about your time and making sure that it is up to par with what's most important, evil will take it from you. And it does over and over and over and over again. And this is whether you're in junior high, senior high, whether you're, whether you're, you're getting close to retirement, I don't care what season of life you're in. The greatest, I think, especially in our culture, one of the greatest distractions, if not one of the greatest evils, the, the, the great plan of Satan is the confusion between important and urgent. They're not the same. We get tricked by it all the time. And we fill our schedules with all these things that we can, we gotta be here, we gotta be here, we gotta be here, we gotta be here. Never stopping to ask the question, is this even important? Is this actually a strategic goal to achieve the greatest commandment and making disciples? And you know what we do? We waste time. We waste time. We just move from one urgent thing to the next. We've got to be aware of our calendars. Now think, think about this for a minute. This is, this is just our culture at large, and I don't know how much, just in entertainment and, and video, and this may not be just entertainment, but Americans are consuming six hours a day of video. That could be on social media. It could be the television that you watch. It could be, you know, you name it. Six hours a day. That sounds like a lot. But if you start thinking about your screen time, you start thinking about the, the, the TV that's on, maybe even in the background, it, it, it adds up quick. Teenagers, it's even worse. I'm just quoting the studies to you. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, you can't watch this much TV, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do this. I'm trying to tell you the reason that this is is because we don't know. We don't count how much time. We don't purposely think, like, because it may be a good thing that you're watching TV or whatever else you're doing in your free time. I'm not trying to judge that. I'm just trying to get you to be aware and to measure it and to set goals and to point them up to the thing that's most important. Because if not, you'll waste the time. You'll waste it. We use this as excuses all the time. I, I just, I don't have enough time in my schedule. I, you think about addictions, like they destroy lives, right? You think about uh, other kinds of sins, infidelity, all these things. I tell you what, if you, had, if you were master of your calendar, this sounds crazy. You could avoid some of these things. Right? 
I, would get, I can't get help for my addiction. I'm struggling with, with sexual sin. I, can't get, I don't have time for it. My marriage is falling apart. I just, I can't get off work to go to go get help. The urgent destroys what's important. And this keeps us from taking risks. We won't take risks because we've lost what's most important. And the reality is, is that they go out and they make good on their money. And the way that they get good results is taking risks. The guy that protects the talent and hides it in the ground gets yelled at. When I was um, going to the Dominican Republic with the student ministry uh, a few years back, we... uh, I, during that season, I was going to the doctor for some reason. I forget uh, the whole story to you, but it, it, um, I was talking to the nurse about what we were doing, and um, she said, "Oh, that sounds pretty cool." But then she said, "I, I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I would let my kid do that." And I'm like, "Oh, why?" And I said, "Ah, it just doesn't seem like a safe thing. You know, I'm not sure if we should be taking our kids to the Dominican Republic when there's so much." There's so much struggles there and violence and things like that. And, and I paused for a minute and thought about it. And I said, you know what? You're all right. Like you don't want to just for no reason go into harm's way. But we do take a calculated risk. But I think it's really important right now for these kids to learn that they're not here to survive the world. They're here to change it. We're not here to protect it. We're here to exploit it. We're here to see a return. We're here to take our talent and transform the world. Not hang on to it for ourselves. We got to take a risk. We got to be willing to assess ourselves and measure it and see things grow and change and not be satisfied with the status quo. And yet we are so often... And I, I'm still blown away, though, by the, the last part, the punishment of the guy that just hangs on to the talent, that just protects it and makes sure that it's, it's not wasted, right? He gets in a lot, and, and it's a pretty big deal, right? Not only does he get the talent taken away from him and get yelled at, basically, you wicked, slothful servant, But he says, the master says this. Cast him out to the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I could see him being disappointed. But what we're talking about here is hell. Eternal separation from God. Why would God be so upset Why would this loving God be so distraught with this guy that he would cast him out of his presence forever? And here's why. Listen to me. Doing nothing says something. It says something about your faith. I'm not saying that 
if you do good works, you're going to go to heaven. But faith equals good works. Look at, look at what this guy says, right? This guy, he starts blaming, he starts blaming the master, right? He says, uh, you know, the reason I didn't turn, make a return on your money is because, because of who you are, right? I was afraid. He says, uh, he says that you, you, you're a hard man, you reap where you haven't sown. You gather where you haven't uh, scattered seed. You're, you're the reason. <laughs> I just want to make sure you didn't get too ticked at me. Boy, that worked out well, right? And look what the master's response is. After saying, you wicked slothful dude, he says, and this is, this is the tone of what he's saying. He's not repeating what the guy just said. He's not saying, yeah, that's right. I am a guy who reaps where I haven't sown. He's saying, he's calling them out. Uh, no, you didn't. In teenager language. No, you didn't. <laughs> he says, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So I, I reap where I haven't sown. I've I've gathered where I, where I haven't scattered seed, right? If you really believe that, then you'd ought to at least take in my money, put it with the bank, and gain some interest. He's lying to him. This man's inaction is saying that he doesn't know the master. He, doesn't, he didn't do this because he wanted to serve the master. He didn't do this because he believed in his master, had faith in his master, cared about his master, loved his master. No one cares for something and does nothing. Friends, this was the easiest thing to do. And maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't have come back. Now I got free money. I didn't lose any of it. He did not love the master. The Bible talks about this as a lukewarm Christian. We can't, we can't live that way. And some of us will do things you know, maybe we'll, we'll try to make a return on our talent. We're trying to make a return on the investment God made in us, right? But we do it without a love for Jesus Christ. And, and heads up, that doesn't work very well. You always got to have a love for Jesus Christ when you're ministering or you're caring for people. <laughs> a couple of years ago uh, when I was in seminary, I say a couple, but it was a lot. Um, uh, a buddy of mine, and this is a really great man of God, but we had seen this uh, uh, sermon that was uh, part of one of our classes, and it was really pumping everybody up to go reach um, the lost and, and, and uh, evangelize. And, but at the end, I think our, our, the way we translated it was guilt. And we, we didn't want to look like the guy who wasn't, you know, because we're in seminary, right? We should be reaching lost people. And so um, we went to Wendy's, and my buddy was really 
really moved, you know, moved by this to do something. And, uh, and so he just started putting tracks everywhere. There was tracks on the trash can. There was tracks on the counter in the bathroom. Uh, I'm washing my hands. He's putting tracks on the toilet. And uh, yeah. And then we get into uh, the line and I order my Baconator, as a good Christian would do. And he gets, in, he gets in after me then and talks to the man taking our order, doesn't say hi or anything and just says, have you, have you found Jesus? And the man's like, uh, I didn't know he was lost. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting my food. <laughs> and, and you know, he paused there for a minute and then just ordered his food and then we sat down. And, I, and, and we had a long talk about that. And, and the reality is, we do no good for God if we don't love him. And we're not showing the love of Jesus. He could have won the race. I'm not saying don't talk to people at these pinch points where you, you get to interact with people that may not believe. I'm not saying don't hand out tracts or put them in strategic places. But I am saying that if you do them without a love for Jesus and a love for people, you, you do nothing. No one wants that. No one wants to be yelled at and told what to do and how to live. It doesn't make any sense. We cannot be without the love of Christ. We're not ready for when he comes back. We're lukewarm. Let me flesh this out just a little bit more. We're, we're doing a study in my small group with a book called uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. The chapter that I read recently talked about the lukewarm person that, that we, we mentioned in Revelations a couple of weeks ago. And he gives a whole chapter of just listing out lukewarm people are this. Lukewarm people are this. And I want to read this just to challenge us because it says this. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues. And the church in the United States is dying. 94% of churches are not growing. 94%. And of the 4% that are, they're taking a risk, they're inviting people, and they're discipling them. They're making good. They're making good on their talent. A lukewarm person, a lukewarm person gauges their morality or their goodness by comparing themselves with the secular world. They feel, they feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so and so, they are now, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. A lukewarm person says. That they love Jesus and he is indeed part of their lives, but only part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people love God, but they do not love him with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. They would be quick to assure you that they love God that much, 
But that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. We're talking about radicals and missionaries and pastors. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right, especially when they're in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of the church, their careers and their schools. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church, but only as long as it doesn't impede on their standard of living. If they have a little extra, it's easy to give. It's safe. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. They are quick to point out that Jesus never said that money is the root of all evil, but that the love of money is. Friends, I want to reiterate here, this is, a, this is a, a warning shot to us. And those of us that hear this, we need, and, and our believers, we need to make changes to make good on the investment that God has given us, that we would be ready when he comes, and that we would not be lukewarm because the lukewarm Christian is spit out of his mouth and is not one who loves him and, and wants to follow after him and truly has faith in him. And so we need to correct ourselves and respond as the Holy Spirit is pulling on us. We need to be more specific and intentional about loving people around us, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan. We need to be disciple makers. Our church should grow. If it doesn't, it's sick. You don't look at a baby and six months later you're like, huh, why, he must be healthy. He didn't grow an inch. Do you know that there are over 100,000 people in a 10-mile radius from where you're standing right now? And I'm just saying this to open up our eyes. 100,000 people. If we were to reach just one percent of them, that'd be a thousand people. Just one percent. What does that mean? Could you invite somebody? A friend, a coworker, a family member? Could you start praying for somebody? Could you start caring for somebody at a different level in the hopes that they would come to know the Savior of the universe? This is our calling. That we would use our status, that we would use our resources, our money, that we would use our time, our friends, our family for the sake of the kingdom. I want to look back and know that my life meant something. I want to be greater than myself. I want to, on the day of judgment, whether in his second coming or on my, at my death, that when I'm face to face with Jesus, he looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant.
Friends, that's our calling. What could you do this week to start focusing on what's most important? Maybe it means that invitation. Maybe it means taking a hard look at your calendar and making some changes. I know that's where where we are as a family. So I ask you to join me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today that you would think so highly of us that you would not only rescue us but then use us for your great will and your great purpose, Lord. And some of us here today are listening to this for the first time and maybe not hearing it in this way before and are thinking, I haven't been intentional about my faith. I don't know where I am with God but I'd like to take the next steps. Father, would you ache it on their hearts that they would come and talk to me or somebody else here before they leave? Lord, each one of us, we got some stuff to do, me included, because we want want to make a return for you and show good results for you and make the most of the opportunities. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us take the steps that we need to this week. We want to give you all the honor and all the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.